I'm a small person and I've always kind of been treated by the public in a in a childlike way. You know, not being seen as an adult and a sexual being, like, I felt wrong. This is Jem Turner. She's 30 years old and lives in West Yorkshire, England. And a few years ago, she finally mustered up enough courage. She started dating. OMG, I've got a match. And this is her dating journey from meeting wonderful people. Yeah, what can I say? I do love a cheesy joke. So, meeting those who overstep her boundaries. So, I got a bad feeling about him. And then when I said, actually, I'm not feeling this, you know, see you later, he said to me, oh, have you got any other hot disabled friends that I could see instead? You're listening to Love and Disability. I'm Alice Edwards. is on lockdown. The COVID pandemic is forcing people into isolation. And alone in her apartment in West Yorkshire, Jem Turner is facing off with her inner demons. Well, I started to be honest that I did have desires. I wanted to meet people and, you know, just date like everyone else. Dating can be nerve-wracking. Putting yourself out there can make anyone feel vulnerable. But for Jem, she didn't even feel like she was allowed to. When I was young, I, because I'm like three foot one, so just to sort of visually describe myself, um, I'm a small person and I've always kind of been treated by the public in a, in a childlike way. Jem uses a powered wheelchair and the medical term for what she has is osteogenosis imperfecta type 3. But the simple term is brittle bones. So I break bones really easily. Um, and it's, it's a genetic condition. Obviously, if you break a bone, that's painful. Um, but apart from that, like using my chair and living life is pretty happy. Gem is 30 years old, but her teenage years still haunt her. Growing up, for some reason, people couldn't treat her like she was actually growing up. So you imagine, you know, as a teenager, you're just starting to get to know yourself, getting to know your body, you're kind of finding yourself, but then, you know, you're wanting to start feel a little bit more like adult-wise and you're testing makeup and stuff like that. But then on the same side, you're getting strangers still, like, patting patting you on the head and bending down and talking down to you. So for context, you know, I've been treated so much like a child until I was even, you know, even now at 30, I still get treated, you know, in a patronising way. It was like her friends, family and everyone else had a silent agreement that when it comes to falling in love or having lust, Jem just wasn't included. I've always been in situations where you know, people have been talking about their latest dates or uh, the boyfriend that they are with, you know, in, in my group of friends. And I think without realising, 
they didn't even know that they weren't asking me questions. It definitely it impacted my self-esteem, first of all, like, you know, not being seen as an adult and a sexual being. Like, I felt wrong. I felt like, you know, people are patting me on the head, but then I'm, like, wanting to be out there and meet guys and go on dates and have sex. Like, is this right? Is this normal? Of course it's normal, like, but it was such a secret in my head that, ooh, like, I want to go on a, <laughs> I want to go on a date. Is that wrong? Like, of course it isn't, but it makes you just feel like you're not really part of society. You're sort of seen as a, as a other. Her entire life, Jenna's been programmed into thinking that she doesn't belong in the dating world. And I'm learning that and realizing the damage it's made. That's rough. It was many days, maybe even weeks of me realizing. And, you know, there was, there was like, there was one day where I cried and I cried. And it was almost like it was slowly dripping like a, you know, like a tap and more and more thoughts were like oh my god yeah I felt like this for so long um so yeah it was really heavy and it wasn't just a quick realization and to be honest you know when I think back about it it, it still it hurts because you know there was a time where I remember as a kid where I just I remember feeling like I just wish there was I knew about one person that was attracted to me that, uh, that's all I want, just one person, and I would, I would feel less insecure, which is so sad. Like, why do you need that validation so much? But it just felt like no one would ever feel that way about me. But after this process of realising everything she's been through, at the other end comes determination. Well, I started to be honest that... I did have desires, I wanted to meet people and, you know, just date like everyone else. But first, she needs courage. So the first thing that I did was announce to my friends that I was a sexual being that wanted to go and date. And that sounds ridiculous, but even just saying that was just like a huge weight lifted and my react the the reaction from my friends was like great you you go girl <laughs> like it was it was that moment of like almost like not coming out because it's totally not the same but you know I felt like I was announcing something massive and it really wasn't anyway she gathers friends from all different pockets of her life her school university her job and she sets up a whatsapp group she names the group Sex Pals. Don't ask me why, but it was literally like the objective was to be comfortable in talking about sex. So I put the label Sex Pals and that, that is the name of the WhatsApp group. And she writes her first message. Hey girls, setting up this chat just so that we can start talking about me and what my wants are. Um... I've been really shy about this for so long. Um, please, can you help me with, you know, talking about this? I really want to get on dating apps. 
can you tell me that this is okay? And that's where it all started. The support is overwhelming and kind of vulgar too. So they were like, yeah, Jeb, let's get you some dick. And I was like, oh, God. You know, some of them were talking to me about my feelings and, you know, the deep stuff. And then some people were just sending me dildos. Like, honestly, <laughs> the, the range of support was outrageous. But that was just what she needed. That she was allowed to have all of these conversations, all of the talks that she was excluded from as a teenager. Um, and I realised saying all this out loud just sounds absolutely ridiculous. But it, it really is. It's like therapy. It's like completely changing. It's undoing all those like microaggressions that the world's told me, you know, about myself. And with newfound confidence, Jem decides. She downloads a dating app on her phone. I was in just my living room, in my little armchair, you know, in my PJs, not looking my best, but obviously you put your best pictures on there. Um, yeah, I was just, I think it must have been like a Sunday evening, just scrolling through, I was like... <gasps> and then it happens. A match. OMG, I've got a match. And it was, it was quite quick as well. Not to be big-headed, but yeah, well, I wasn't waiting too long, which I was pretty pleased about. <laughs> She does something she's never dared to do before. With a racing heart, she asks the guy out on a date. I'm like getting ready and putting my best dress on, and but also feeling like still that, that kind of voice in the back of my head is embarrassed and ashamed. And, you know, that little voice that's saying, Oh, this is so cringe. Why? Why are you bothering? This man's not going to like you. They're just laughing. You know, there's, there's all those horrible voices in your head as well. She gets to the pub first and orders up her seco. Her date walks in and they smile at each other. And I just knew then. I could, you know, when those first impressions do count, and I just knew that it was going to be a nice conversation. Um, you know, there was nothing creepy. And I know I know you shouldn't say that, but obviously we've all got first impressions and it is important. Um, so I just totally relaxed then, straight away. And I'm really glad I got there first because another thing about being disabled as well is that it's all the logistics side of stuff as well. So, you know, I picked somewhere that was accessible. Um, I picked somewhere where you could order from your phone like on a QR code, and it's all those logistics that no, probably non-disabled people don't even think about. Whereas for me, it was like, it's got a toilet, and the doors are automatic, and, you know, I took away all that stress so that I could just literally focus on the day. And then we were just chatting for ages, uh, and it, it was just such a lovely day. But it's more than just a date. Her demons crawl back in defeat. Jem is winning. The, the feeling of this is dramatic, but euphoria. You imagine like the one thing in my life that's been eating me in my brain for years and all of a sudden 
um, sat opposite a man. I'm pretty sure the man fancies me because, well, we're giving each other like little nice little smiles. And I'm like, oh, this is it. I've, I've managed to, you know, beat the voice in the back of my head and I'm doing something that my brain and the world has told me that I'm not allowed to do. And actually, I am allowed to do it and he wants to do it. I want to do it. And I'm, we'll probably do it again. Then it's just so nice. It's such a good feeling. The day ends amicably and they part ways. But she keeps that warm feeling of newfound confidence and she brings it with her as she keeps putting herself out there. However, navigating the treacherous waters of dating life, she quickly encounters men who do not give her that warm feeling. So I'm starting to see patterns of different types of men when I'm going going on dates. Um, And I would say there's like three main types of people. Um, And this, you can probably tell these people mostly from just like the online apps. You don't necessarily have to meet them. And thank God I didn't actually meet a few of them. So the first type of man is the man that says, I don't even see your disability. And... That just baffles me because I'm like, well, I've got a 14 stone wheelchair, I'm three foot one. You know, if you don't see this, then something's wrong. Unless you're visually impaired, somehow visually impaired friends, then yes, I will audio describe what I look like. But to everyone else, you know I'm disabled. I'm like, am I invisible? Like, am I just hovering? (laughs) What? 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 It doesn't make sense. And you would probably get those people on dating apps because they probably think that's the right thing to say Um, or they they just don't really know how to act around disabled people so they think if I just say I don't see it then she'll think I'm totally chill totally cool and I'm like you're opposite of cool (laughs) you don't know what you're doing so then you've got the second one which is you're such an inspiration This is the hard one because this is the one where at first they get you and you're reeled in and because they want to learn more, you're like, this is so sweet, this is so nice, this person's so considerate. So the people that want to learn more, I'm like reeled in and... You know, they'll be like, oh, you just, you know, I never realise what the world looks like and there's so many barriers, blah, blah, blah. But actually, the more more conversations that you have, it's so tiring and it really does feel like you're being othered in that situation and it's really hard to notice it at first. Um, But you imagine, you know, you're going home I'm like, you're having your tea and someone says, you know, I never realised how difficult it was to pick up the kettle. (laughs) Like, you just don't want someone narrating your life, just doing the ordinary things. So, yeah, it's it's a massive turn-off for me and it's exhausting. You know, in my job, I talk about disability. I don't want to take that home and teach them as well. So, yeah, it's a no-no. 
The third type of man, I would say, is the fetisher. The guy who has a fetish. Yeah, there was, there was one person I was talking to and he hid it for a very long time. Not hid it, but almost kind of charmed me and I didn't realise it for quite a long time. Luckily, he lived quite a long way away, so, you know, we didn't meet. We, well, we actually never met, but we were going to meet. So I got a bad feeling about him. And then when I said, actually, I'm not feeling this, you know, see you later, he said to me, oh, have you got any other hot disabled friends that I could see instead? So I was like, wow, yes, this is exactly the only thing that you're looking for. And I was right, my gut was right. Fetishism in and of itself is not a bad thing. It's all about the context and the consent. This is Rhoda Olkin. I have a PhD and my title is Distinguished Professor of Clinical Psychology at a graduate school that trains therapists, Alliant International University. She's particularly interested in researching women with disabilities, microaggressions, and dating with disability, and has been in the field for decades. Probably since around 1990, I decided to specialize in it. Rhoda got polio one year before the vaccine came. And for the last 20 years, she's been using a wheelchair. I think it's important that we identify as insiders when we're talking about this, that it not only is about research, but also about lived experience. In her research, the categories of dates that Jem tells us about, they're common. This is fairly universal. So the person who's saying, I don't see your disability, is essentially denying an essential part of you, and also saying disability is so stigmatized that I have to not even see it. Let's pretend it's not there. So there have been over thousands of studies on attitudes towards disability, all with the same result, which is attitudes towards disability are predominantly negative. It's a very, very stigmatized condition. And saying, I don't see that part of you is augmenting that stigma by saying it's so stigmatized, I'm going to pretend it isn't even there. And the second one, the you teach me so much, that is also a common trope. We see this over and over again in movies, for example. And we see this in movie after movie where the other characters, the non-disabled characters, become better people through their association with people with disabilities. So it's no surprise that this filters into the dating world, that people feel noble or somehow um, more in tune or more empathic because now they're with a person with a disability. Now, the group that has a fetish for disability, that's not uncommon to have at all. There's an entire community for it. They call themselves devotees. I don't think we should think of it as a bad thing in and of itself. Because having preferences isn't something weird. 
Some people prefer blondes, while others prefer brunettes. Some people are drawn to tattoos, and others like big breasts. And for some people, the wheelchair is the sexiest thing they can think of. And why shouldn't a wheelchair be something that can also be considered as something sexy? My chair is part of my body. Uh, it is. It's you know I sit in it most of the time. So the way that my body looks when I'm in my chair, obviously it's part of me. So if you're attracted to me, you're attracted to all of me. It can be part of the narrative. It can be empowering for some people. If you're only attracted to one part of a person, just be honest if you're pursuing them. So that they have a chance to decide if they want to take part in that. That wasn't the case for Jem. He didn't want to get to know me. He didn't want a connection. He didn't, but kind of alluded that he did. You know, it was that fake situation. Jem isn't okay with dating someone who reduces her to only her chair, but her chair is a part of her. Not her entire being, so of course that part can also be something sexy. Like, don't get me wrong, you know, if if we're having a conversation and I'm like, I don't know, can't I can't wait to kiss you in my chair? You know what? If oh god, I'm so bad at sexy talk, but like, you know, if the chair's part of the story, great, and there's consent, but like, don't just use my chair without without reading the situation and the the context, if that makes sense. However, there is one more type of man that we haven't talked about. The fourth category of men is the ones that are welcome, the cheesy kind. We are meeting in a bar and he says to me, I'll meet you, I'll meet you there. As I'm at the table, I see him, and we both sort of like smile and we're a bit, you know, a bit smiley and cheeky. And he walks behind me and literally trips over my wheel. And I'm not, like, I'm not kidding. It was a, a big fall and I was like, oh my God. And then he just turned around and he's like, did I just fall for you? And I was like, oh. You know, humour is the way to my heart, and uh, yeah, it just made things not awkward. Yeah, what can I say? I do love a cheesy joke. So every date to me is, it's really important, and not to not that dates are just like development for me. Like it's not a selfish thing. It's just it's building the bricks to my self-esteem. So especially that date was kind of a turning point because. It made me realise that, you know, I've got so much love to give as well as wanting to receive it as well. And really, I need to stop focusing on myself so much. Like, ironically, after all this work, that, you know, focus on the other person. What do they need? Like, yeah, it's really interesting how it's developed over time and now I'm thinking in a much stronger way a much confident way like now i'm starting to go into the phase of 
you know, I mean, I've, I've just turned someone down. Can you imagine three years ago me telling myself that I did that? I'd have been like, no way, as if I did that. So, yeah, the, the journey of that and the good experiences are so important to, to get to this stage. Jem Turner is, at least at the time of this recording, single. Ready to mingle? And she's turning 30, the big 3-0. And after years of conquering demons, it's time for a new journey. Um, so I feel like I'm entering a new era of like, I don't want to just keep going on dates for the sake of it. Um, I feel like I've, I've accomplished the mission of going on dates, having sex, knowing that I like it, knowing, you know, what I want, what I don't want. And now I'm like, I don't just want to keep dating just for the sake of it. So, you know, I, I really want people to see me as me, as disabled me, but me as someone who's hopefully got a great sense of humour, someone who's positive, someone who is sarcastic and likes to have a joke, um, me who's actually quite emotional and sensitive and for all that I'm joking about, you know, I really love proper connections and someone who who can you know, get to know the real me and my thoughts and, I don't know, just bypass the awkwardness of their assumptions about disability and just get to know me as a person. So, what is Jem's type? Um, so I'm a person, I've realised that, like, not to sound, it sounds like I'm making it up, but looks to me is sort of, it goes second to me, personality is so what I look for and you know I ha- if you can make me laugh that is my type and that obviously that's hard when you swipe in so I do look for people who say they've got a good sense of humour or they're sarcastic um, but if I did go for a type um, my celebrity crush is George Ezra I don't know if you know the singer but yeah Mm, he is a beautiful man. So if there's any George Ezra's out there, please, please do follow me online. You have listened to Love and Disability, a film production about love and sex from a disabled perspective. Hosted by me, Alice Edwards, our technician was Astrid Anka Krona. Voice actor was Daniel Sävström. And the episode was produced and edited by Maria Elena Zelaya.